This is Raider Nation Radio 920 Unnecessary Roughness. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, it's Adam Candy and JVT. Hour number two, Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio. Adam Candy alongside Jonathan Von Tobel with Demon Cotton keeping us on the rails. If you want to get at us on social media, at me, JVT, for Jonathan Von Tobel, at Adam Candy, two E's at the end instead of a Y for me. Of course, we want your calls and your text. 702-365-9200 is the number to call in. 69187 with the keyword R&R is the Sam and Ash text line. You can find the show via Raiders.com, via TuneIn, search Raider Nation Radio, or go to lvsportsnetwork.com. Dot com. You can get it there as well. We want to talk to Damon at Damon underscore the boss on Twitter. In about half hour, we're going to have a good conversation with Ken Korak from the Oakland A's. Some of his memories of one of the most famous, not only Raiders broadcasters, but Bay Area broadcasters of all time, Bill King. Uh, Ken wrote a book using Bill's catchphrase, Holy Toledo, as the title spent a number of years in the booth with Bill King. We're going to talk some of his great memories of Bill, and we want to hear about your Raider memories of listening to Bill King on the radio, on KNBR and elsewhere, whether it's Raiders games, whether it's Warriors games, A's games, where he worked alongside Ken for a number of years. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Jonathan, as we, as we talk a little bit more about sports media and the broadcasters we remember, and so on. Who are the the local broadcasters that you remember, whether it's radio, TV, whatever it is, when you were listening to games and first kind of getting into sports? So this is why I can't wait to have this conversation because my list is non-existent. They're done. And, and I know that like, these guys do really – these guys and gals do really good jobs, and they help me maintain what's going on in the game, you know, foul situations, flags, all sorts of stuff. But I got to be honest with you, Adam, uh, as, you know, in my consumption of sports, not one has really stuck out. Not one really alters the way I look at things. There's not an announcer who I would tell you who sucks. There's not an announcer who, to, who I would tell you is incredible. Uh, I don't know if that's – if I am alone in that. There's obviously announcers who have – stuck out because they were just of their longevity, right? Like, you know, in my in my memory, Fox football has always been Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. So, like, that's always that's going to be different to see them somewhere else. But as far as, like, having announcers who I loved or were some of my favorites, nothing really sticks out. I'm watching the game. That's why I've also, to be honest with you, that's why I've also never understood when people are like, get this guy off the air. Like, with whenever text in and says Collinsworth sucks, I never really noticed Collinsworth, to be quite honest. One of the notes that I actually wrote down to talk to Richard about is how much do analysts really matter? Because I feel like there are there are really only three types of sports media characters, right? The ones we love, the ones we hate, and the ones we can't even recognize. Mm-hmm. And Madden, who's my memory of growing up watching football, right? Madden and Pat Summerall was my era of watching the, uh, the NFL growing up. So... I had the guy everybody loved. Everybody loved John Madden, right? Boom! Terrible, terrible impression of John Madden. So everybody remembers, everybody remembers Madden, but then there's the ones that people get together 
with their dislike around. And for me, it, it's never been Collinsworth. And I actually like this guy, but he's the one that I hear the most about. And it's Joe Buck. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are people who just cannot stand Joe Buck calling a game. And and I don't really understand it because he's just, to me, he's just Joe Buck. Like, I never I never listened to and or watched and I'm just like, yeah, this guy sucks. I can totally understand what people are talking about. I just, I don't know. And maybe, maybe I was thinking about this. Maybe it's because I am from the social media generation. These people are much more, I guess the term would be, they're much more human. They are much more just like me and you. You see different sides of them. Everything's hyper-analyzed and whatnot. Um, and so maybe that's part of it. Right back in the day with John Madden, you know, you didn't get to see John Madden's personality that much. You only really got to see it on Monday Night Football. Was he on Monday Night Football, right? That was He, he, he yeah. and Al Michaels did Monday Night Football for a while, and you could see it on Thanksgiving, right? Right. they would break out the turducken. But, but you got him when he was, you know, doing his thing. And that's all you really got from a John Madden. And so those types of personas are a little bit more uh, glorified, if you will, because you don't really experience them as the human side of them. The guy that's outside of the booth, you get to see that a little bit more with a lot of these guys. And I think that's maybe a change in why none of these people stick out to me as far as, you know, otherworldly announcers who are some of my favorites. Um, And I'm also not one for, like, sappy moments a whole bunch either. I've always kind of been like that, so that probably works against me, like, like 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 Vin Scully, for example. I know everybody loves Vin Scully. And this isn't a negative, but like I never got it. Not that I disliked him either, but I just never really got like, man, like, okay, yeah, he's, he's a good announcer. Like I, I can follow the game when he's calling it. But I never understood why it was just otherworldly like, oh, my God, Vin Scully. I'm a Clippers guy, Ralph Lawler. Think he's pretty good. Oh, me, oh, my. That's awesome. But it's never been like, Lawler, love him. Clippers, synonymous, great. Like I've just never really gotten it. Well, let me ask you both a question because you're both more in this age group where I think this is a, another offshoot of the social media era. J- John, you talked about knowing them as humans, more personalities, but the other piece of that is there's a whole generation like me that grew up without a second screen. Right? I, I didn't have my phone. I didn't have my iPad. I didn't have my laptop. I had nothing else going on during the game. It was me and the TV. And so right. I had no choice but to listen to what was going on. I couldn't really be doing something else. Right, I couldn't be like scrolling through Twitter or doing some work or, or whatever. Do you guys generally have at least one other screen going when you're watching a game? I mean, I do, but it's also it's it's another screen of like maybe another sporting event. Like that's the other thing too. There and this has been more over the last like ten years or so. But like I also I watch so many events on mute that that's probably part of it too. Like because you know I've got other things going on. Maybe you're at a, like an event or a party or something like that. You're at a sports book where a vast majority of the events that you're watching you can't hear them because there's only sound on one game. Um, but yeah, I'll have a secondary screen up throughout the most of the time and commercial breaks. Screw commercials. I got my phone. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a secondary screen there. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, I'll watch things on mute. Watch. I've never been part of the crew that watches games with music on. I know a lot of people will do that. That's kind of throwing me That's off weird. a little bit. Yeah. Um, unless I'm at a party, right, and there's a game. Uh, but, yes, there is a secondary screen that probably takes away from the experience of an announcer for me. For me, I think it's more of just, like you said, I'm bouncing around. I'm yeah. a red zone guy. So I'm also yep. only watching the highlights. I'm a highlights person. And then for the Ra- Raider games this past season, I was at the stadium. So I don't get to hear oh, whoever's look doing at this guy. Who's ever Humble doing Humble Frag. Yeah, but I was doing a lot of running around, man. I was working. I was working. Devon's got you on my list of PA announcers and I stadium mean, PA announcers. I've been yeah. to so many, I can tell you. That. So that's why I don't see how Fox where they can say, Hey Tom Brady, three hundred and seventy five million. 
for a con- a 10-year contract, and he's never done the job before, but is Tom Brady moving the needle like that? Are you going to be like, I'm going to watch the Fox game instead of the CBS game? Not because of who's playing, but because Brady's doing the game of the week. I just It just doesn't correlate to me. It feels like the biggest thing that you need to do, if you're a TV network and you are, and we saw this all offseason, everybody going everywhere, right? Buck, Buck and Aikman going to ESPN. Al Michaels going to the Thursday night prime game. Mike Tirico comes in on Sunday night football, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have to talk about Tom Brady as an analyst whenever he retires. It seems like the only goal when you're starting a TV broadcast or filling one of these holes should be don't get someone everyone hates. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know, to DeMond's point, if there's anybody I like enough to say, oh, they're calling the game today? Ah, you know what? I wasn't really interested, but I think I'm going to stick with this broadcast for a while. Yeah, no, it's it's Spider-Man 2, right? It's self-sustaining. Like, that's the thing. Like, the NFL is self-sustaining. Like, it doesn't matter. You can put a dog drinking water in the booth and go to it every five minutes, and I'd still watch the game. We'd all still watch the game. It doesn't matter. But the thing with Brady, and, and this is the thing with all of these, it's, it's a couple of things with Tom Brady. One... To be quite honest, and I'm sure if you asked, like, got some truth serum, if you want to go that route, if you ask any of the execs, it's not about Brady the analyst. It's about your first shot of a football game, especially being the Super Bowl, being handsome Tom Brady and whoever the play-by-play guy is going to be. It's about using Tom Brady because he's going to be used in more than, like, different facets. You know he's going to be all over Fox Bet in terms of promoting all this stuff that they have now. It's tied up with sports gambling, things of that nature. Uh, He'll be on Fox Sports different things like that in terms of promotional stuff, hits on Undisputed or Colin Cowherd's show, right? Like it's, it's about more than just the games with Tom Brady. He's going to be synonymous with Fox now, and that's going to improve the brand overall. Because you and I both know, like 125 on a, on a Sunday, I'm watching the game, who, no matter what it is, if it's Tom Brady or if it's anybody else, but it's about so much more than just the game when you sign a guy like Tom Brady. Well, let me ask you about another name that is going to be back on the market as soon as – a little bit of the radioactivity around him goes away. Uh, we're talking, of course, about John Gruden, right? I I don't know that John Gruden's done when it comes to TV mm-hmm. because if Urban Meyer's not done, then I don't think John Gruden's necessarily done. If Urban Meyer is likely coming back to Fox for the college football broadcasts, uh, do you think that there's a well, path for, for John Gruden back at some point? Do you think? Would you really compare? No, the but two? I'm just saying, guys, who, guys who clearly have some, let's just say, unwelcome heat around their names. Yeah. I think the difference is that John Gruden's unwelcome heat is uh, racially charged language that was, you know, ridiculous. And I think that's why you probably never see him somewhere again. Now, with Urban Meyer, there's a litany of things uh, that include maybe enabling a murderer on his campus back in college. Um, But that kind of goes under the rug because that was so long ago. You kind of forget about that. Now, Urban Meyer is just a punchline. Right, Urban Meyer. We don't remember Urban Meyer, the guy who hired the potentially racist weight, go, you know, weight training coach. Right? We remember Urban Meyer, the guy who was recorded at the bar with a college co-head, a co-head on his lap. He's now a meme in the Charger schedule release thing. He, he's no, you know, we don't remember them as offenses. With John Gruden, I mean, that, that's an offense that I don't think a lot of people are going to forget. Now, I'm with you. I never say never. You have no idea how, like, what happens in five, ten years from now. But I would be much more comfortable saying. Probably not with John Gruden. I guess it's a matter of where everyone's line is, and don't get me wrong when I say that because I thought the John Gruden emails were abhorrent. I thought it actually took longer than it should have for the Raiders to let him go. But Greg Anthony got busted soliciting a prostitute and then 
served his few years away and was back on broadcasts a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always has kind of fascinated me to see where our line is with when we're willing to let people back in, right? Uh, you probably have all seen, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but you probably all seen the incessant Ghostbusters DirecTV commercial going right now with Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., David Ortiz, and Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Could you have imagined just a few years ago that David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez busted PED users? Oh, whoa, 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 David Ortiz. It was never official, Adam. Uh-huh. Come on. Mm-hmm. He was just named. Uh-huh. Yeah, leaked report. What are you talking about? I'm so sorry. You can't trust the, show me, the dr- show me the failed drug test, Adam. Show, <laughs> show it to me. Just because A-Rod is the biggest idiot out there doesn't mean that someone else wasn't also an idiot. No, look, like I, I understand your, your point, but I think in – in today's climate, where rightfully so, homophobic and, and racist language is not stood for anymore, it would take a plat. It would. T- I would think with Gruden, it would take like a new platform to come up and take the risk, right? Like a bar stool to potentially. And I don't know. Who knows? Barstool's a monster. Maybe in ten years, we're talking about Barstool buying media rights for an NFL game. Who knows? Right? Because they, 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 they've already bought media rights. It's not new. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, like maybe that's that's where he goes, but I think it would take something like that, or or a foray. I mean, you want to point out the obvious news network, but a foray into you know news in which where he might go like a totally different type of like of uh, like path in terms of media. We, we've already discussed the name of the network, just a different part of the network, right? So uh, you know, when, when but you know what I mean. Like I, I yeah. think rightfully so. Today, today, guys like him do have the scarlet letter on them, and I think yes. that. You're not going to be because again, like we're talking about this, right? We're talking about how analysts don't make a difference. Like I'm putting voice that analysts don't make a difference to me, right? So you can you know hire burn money on Tom Brady, whose Q rating is through the roof, who's in Ted Two, who does good stuff, who's kind of funny, who I think is going to do a pretty good job in this. Like you like Tom Brady to a certain extent. Like analysts don't really matter. You don't want the shine to be on you because you hired the guy who has the emails in his repertoire that he does and the guy that made the comments that he did. I got to tell you, uh, what I was not expecting at all there was a reference to Ted, too. He was great in that. He was. And and so, I mean... <laughs> the perfect fr- spiral when he fr- threw Ted. It was great. Frankly, so was Nora Jones. That, that yeah. was unexpected as well. Nora Jones was fantastic in, in Ted, too. Yep. All right, so analysts don't move the needle for you. I get that. And for a lot of people listening to Raider Nation Radio right now, uh, like we, we've heard, I don't like Chris Collinsworth. Okay, well, it, it, who else... Do you like or not like when it comes to who moves the needle for you as a Raider fan? 702-365-9200. Sam and Ash text line 69187 with the keyword R&R. If you were tuning in to hear Richard Deitch, some technical difficulties there. We uh, hope to have Richard back on soon. Talk more about it in just a moment on Unnecessary Roughness. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Adam Candy and JVT. Back here on Unnecessary Roughness, Adam Candy and JVT sitting in for your boy Q, who will be back in the middle of this week. We've got some calls to get to here. Damon, who are we talking to? First up, we got Raider Dave in Denver. Raider Dave, what's going on? Hey, thanks, guys. You know, I don't think there's one analysis out there that really does anything for me, and I couldn't care less 
what Tom Brady has to say. I, I think I will just turn the sound off and watch the TV in silence when he is actually uh, getting paid way too much to do that job. I do miss some of the uh, play-by-play guys uh, when the AFC was on NBC back in the 70s. Don Crickey, uh, a few of those guys. Uh, Kurt Gowdy, you know, some of those guys. I used to, as a kid, be pretty enamored with Howard Cosell, but later kind of got tired of it. Um, I'll tell you one analyst, though, that was extremely smart and very uh, succinct, and it's a bummer that he's not here with us, and that's Todd Christensen. That guy had a high IQ and was always coming up with great and uh, comical stuff to say about the game that was going on, which leads me into the fact that when you guys talk about the uh, third wide receiver, I think there's going to be a, a good possibility or a good percentage of time that the Raiders will be in 22, uh, and I, I believe there'll be a second tight end on the field anyway, especially if this uh, offensive line has a couple of issues. And so I don't know that there's really going to be a need for a four-wide receiver set or something like that unless they're really third and long. I just don't think it's going to be the traditional um, left-wide receiver, right, right, uh, right-wide receiver split, and then uh, Waller. But uh, the defense is what I'm most interested in in seeing how that improves, or I think it's where it needs to improve the most. Because the last two years in a row, two seasons, the Raiders have started seven new guys. And I don't think it's going to be any different this year, mostly hinging on Abrams. Do you guys see how he might fit this scheme? Uh I'll say, Dave, first of all, that is the best show summary that anyone's done in about 90 seconds there of everything we've talked about today. I don't really see how Jonathan Abram fits into to what the Raiders are, are going to be doing this year, but I didn't see how Jonathan Abram was going to fit in last year, and I think they found a spot where I don't know that he excelled in helping them, but he didn't hurt them, and they didn't have to put him in coverage nearly as much, which was, of course, the biggest issue Uh John, I think he brings up a really good point uh, when it comes to if the Raiders do go into 22 and you're splitting out either Moreau or Waller, maybe in some of those sets, that you know, maybe you don't have as much need for that third wide receiver. I was looking at some of the player personnel groupings and to give us an idea of potentially how this might look. I mean, New England last year, uh, 56% of the time uh, were in a uh, – 11 set with three wide receivers, 5% of the time in 22, but obviously your personnel groupings change on the personnel that you have, so maybe that's going to be something uh, that does change for McDaniels as you're looking at this offense. But no, it's it's a fair point. I'm always, for me, I'm just always concerned about depth. Like you, In the physicality of an NFL season where you have more games being played now, I know it's just one, but still it's more. I always want to know if my depth is on solid, if I'm on solid depth because uh, you just have no idea how the season plays out. Let's send it back out of the phone lines, Damon. We got Fabian up next. Fabian, what's happening? Hey, guys. Hey, here's what I do. I listen to the radio. Even when I'm in the stadium, I listen to whoever, and right now it's good old Brett Musburger who's doing it. Or before that, it was Papa up in Oakland. But I listen to the radio even when I'm at the game. So if I'm at home watching it on TV, I'm streaming it through the Raiders app, and then I sync it between my radio and and a TV, so I get the, the play-by-play synced up to the, to the video. But I don't listen to the talking heads on TV. I don't listen to the talking heads on the four-letter word. I don't listen to the talking heads on the other TV stations. I listen to the Raiders play-by-play because 
that's where you're going to get the real information from. Fabian, real quick, if you stick around for one second, do you just do that with the Raiders? Are you a big sports fan? Do you do that with all sporting events, or is it just Raider stuff? Primarily Raider stuff. I have done it once with the uh, Warriors. I uh, don't know if it was last, uh, the last championship or the previous championship year. I think I did it because I, I couldn't stand the guys on the, on TV because uh, of all of that other ancillary guys that keep talking on those shows but primarily just Raiders but you know I like sports I'm not a big baseball guy so I don't watch baseball um basketball I really want to get into it when it's when the Warriors are in the playoffs because season's too damn long Mm -hmm. baseball hockey and and basketball season's too long football we get it down now and now it's going to be 18 going on maybe 20 weeks so I no. <laughs> well, well, Fabian, we Fabian, we greatly, uh, greatly appreciate it, and uh, greatly appreciate you, of course, listening to our Raider broadcast here. And, and the reason why I bring that up, Adam, too, is I think Fabian, because he's a Raiders fan, wants to hear right the Raiders, not the Raider side of things, but you want to hear Raider Raider coverage from guys who are with the team and listen to it. I'm curious to see if people who one, that's also an older school thing, right? Listening to the game on the radio while you're there and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, but also, too, I wonder how many people bridge that gap of just doing that for every sporting event as opposed to just wanting to do it for their team because they want their team's coverage. Hit us up on the phones and the text line to talk more about that. I think we got one more call to month. Yeah, we got Papa Meach on the line. Papa Meach, what's that? What's happening? Hey, guys. Uh, I grew up uh, listening to Bay Area Radio. Bill King absolutely was my favorite broadcaster of all time. Red Ken's book, and the reason everybody loved Bill King was you, even if you weren't a sports fan, you could sit there and listen to him on the Raider radio, uh, doing Raider games or Warrior games or A's games, and you he painted the picture so clearly and was so cleverly that you felt you were there. And so you may want to ask, ask Ken which sport you feel that Bill enjoyed um, announcing for the most. I think his answer is going to be baseball, but I would really be interested in what uh, – he has to say about the three sports. And one story I told on uh, Clay's show a few days ago, and I'm not trying to demean Bill at all, but my favorite moment you asked uh, about a half hour ago, what's your favorite moment with Bill's career? Well, it was probably every broadcast, but I would say when he was doing the Warriors game and, and the broadcasters were right there uh, on the sco- near the end of the uh, table there on the court side, he went on one broadcast on KNBR called an official MF on the air, and then they said, hey, you know, <laughs> he got in big trouble with the FCC, and uh, so he was hampered, of course. He didn't uh, you know, stop him from broadcasting, but then later on when there were some bad plays uh, going on with the officiating, he said, well, you know what I said uh, a week ago? Well, I'm thinking it right now, but I can't say it on the air. So <laughs> he was a character, but a very bright guy, bright guy, and off the air, I mean, he was a master in I think he loved cooking. I think he lived uh, on a sailboat in Sausalito. You may want to add correct. That uh, is correct. That too. So yep. good guy. My favorite guy in the whole world. And uh, I miss him. And I was very sad when he passed on. Well, Papa Meach, we we greatly appreciate the call and the memories uh, of Bill King. The Warriors ended up having to pay that FCC fine, where Bill thought he had taken his headset off far enough to yell at Ed Rush as a rookie official. Uh, called him an MFR, and uh, that was definitely still audible 
on the broadcast uh, for Bill King. Just one of many great stories about Bill from his days broadcasting in the Bay Area. His former partner, Ken Korak, joins us in just about five minutes to talk about Holy Toledo, the book he wrote about Bill King. Luciani goes left, Boletnikov to the right. Hand off to Smith, sending him wide again. Follows up shot. Five, three, touchdown Raiders! They split Klein out and slot Rensel inside him. Back goes Gabriel up the middle. He throws. Intercepted by Tatum at the 45. Falls, gets up, runs to the 50. And he's dancing his way down to the 40-yard line. Only brought down from behind at the 37 by Gabriel. LaMonica gets to Davis. Sweeping to the left. Has up John Freddy's at the 10, the 5, the 3. Let's go, Raiders! Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Adam Candy and JVT. And coming back there, you hear some of the calls of Bill King on KNBR from his 26 years broadcasting games for the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders. Uh, one of the great parts as I was looking for some audio was matching that up and watching the video that, that went along with it. And, you know, when he describes Tatum dancing, he... He was dancing. It's really just a, an amazing use of the language, something Bill King was fantastic at, something Ken Korak had a front-row seat to for the better part of 10 years as his broadcast partner with the Oakland A's. Uh, Ken wrote a book about Bill King, Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic, and he's kind enough to give us a little bit of his time here this afternoon. Ken, what's going on? How you doing? Adam, it's great to be with you. Thanks. Uh, thanks for spending a little bit of time with us. I believe you're up in Seattle with the A's right now? I'm in the visiting radio booth in Seattle, yeah. A's oh. and the Mariners are starting a three-game series here tonight. Well, as we mentioned on the lead-in there, you spent a, a number of years alongside Bill King and here on uh, Raider Nation Radio. We know that a lot of folks grew up with the voice of Bill King in the Bay Area. When do you first remember listening to Bill as a huge sports fan yourself? Well, as I'm dating myself, but it goes back to his days doing the Warriors. And he started with the Warriors in 62, Raiders in 66, as you know. So I grew up in L.A. and West L.A. You could hear the Warrior games late at night uh, when the sun went down. So I listened to him quite a bit when he was doing basketball. And then as I kind of migrated up the coast and went to college at Santa Barbara and then uh, moved to the Bay Area in, in 79, you know, one thing about the Raiders and, and Bill's brilliance with them even if I was watching the game on television, and especially if it was a close game in the last five or six minutes, I would always switch to the radio so I could listen to Bill because I don't think anyone could, could uh, reach the level that Bill could reach when the game got to that, those dramatic moments at the end of a ball game. And, Ken, I know you've been broadcasting for the better part of four decades at this point, and it amazes me listening back to some of his old calls in the most heightened, tense moments, the ones that you always, you know, you feel like the ones that you want to capture the best, you want the most dramatic moments, he was able to still paint amazing pictures in those times, which if you've ever done any, any level of this job is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and he did it brilliantly, as you know, Adam, in all three sports. And there was a time when he did the Raiders, and the A's and the Warriors at the same time. So he didn't sleep a whole lot. He was going year-round with uh, three major league sports. And, and you're right. You know, he was literally a painter, too, because 
It's interesting you mentioned that because he could certainly paint a picture, uh, a word picture on the radio, and he was actually a great artist himself. He was a real fan of uh, the Impressionists, so he had that artistic quality that I think he he brought to his broadcast. What stood out to you about Bill when you first had the opportunity to work with him? You start with the A's in, in 1996 and spent the better part of 10 seasons with him. What jumped out at you about being his broadcast partner? Well, first of all, to preface, he was very good to me. And I replaced Lon Simmons, who was a legendary broadcaster in the Bay Area, revered and like Bill, received the uh, Ford C. Frick Award from Baseball's Hall of Fame. But Bill really reached out and made me feel comfortable. So our relationship, I think, uh, was just one of a one of a you know just a remarkably uh, instrumental thing for me, both personally and in our friendship, and also in my career. But the, I guess the main thing, and he was so multifaceted. After all, like you said, I wrote a book about him. I spent 267 pages trying to <laughs> capture him, and I think I could have written about 400 because he was, uh, you know, all over the, the spectrum because he had so many different interests. But I think the first the thing that really stands out would be his passion. Uh, Bill never did anything halfway, and I've said this. If he, if he was reading the newspaper in the morning, it was like the most important reading of the newspaper in the history of the world. If he was having dinner, he, he just immersed himself completely in every moment and he had that ability i think as a broadcaster to do that to like drop to, to block everything out and just and, and lock into what he was doing oakland a's broadcaster ken korak joining uh, adam candy jonathan von tobel here on raider nation radio talking about the longtime voice of the raiders both in oakland and los angeles bill king and you that ability to be in that moment do you think that was the biggest reason that Bill connected with fans in the Bay Area the way he did, or was there something else to it? No, I think so, and I think he was real. I think the biggest reason that he connected was that people knew that he was real. There was nothing phony about Bill. He was his own man. Um, he lived life on his own terms. He wasn't afraid to speak his mind. He didn't really care what you thought. Um, as you know, his tirades against umpires and officials have been kind of somewhat legendary over the years, so uh, and then, of course, he, he broadcasts for some great teams and the ability to, I mean, the and NFL films has immortalized uh, so many of his calls. And, uh, you know, the old, Mount, old man Willie and the, uh, you know, the Holy Roller and the Sea of Hands and all those amazing Raiders calls, I think, over the years. So, so Bill's calls have lived on. Ken, as you were in the process of writing the book, and we mentioned it before, Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic, uh, was there anything you learned about him, even despite having spent as much time with him as you did that you hadn't known before? Well, you know, that's a great, it's a great question. I think there were a lot of things that I learned that was, you know, I think that even though we spent 10 years together, maybe I just scratched the surface in getting to know him. And in talking to people who had known him for a lot longer than me, I, I certainly learned a lot more about his history. And Bill, by his own admission, was not a real introspective person. So I think through the, through the book, I gained a greater insight into what made him tick. And I think part of it also in, in that book, uh, it wasn't my, my intent when I started writing it. It kind of turned into a kind of a history of Bay Area sports because he was so linked to the Bay Area and he, he did the he did Cal, University of California football and basketball. Uh, that was his first uh, really important gig in the Bay Area when he moved there in the late 50s. So, And I, I think from talking 
to so many of his friends and colleagues, I just gained a greater understanding of, of Bill, and even going back to his, his fascination with Russian history, his ability to try to learn to speak Russian because of his friendship with uh, the great warrior forward Tom Mascheri, who played at St. Mary's. So he, he, it certainly expanded my knowledge of Bill. That's amazing. I mean, it's just one of many amazing stories. Uh, we had a caller earlier who I'm going to pass on a question from him who also mentioned the fact that, you know, that Bill lived on a boat in Sausalito and there are many other great stories to share. Uh, the question we got earlier was you mentioned Bill doing all three Bay Area sports at one time. And the question was, did he have a particular preference or affinity for one over another? Well, first of all, the boat story is more mythology than reality. <laughs> uh, he did have a boat in Sausalito, and Bill and his wife Nancy loved to sail. And they sailed. I mean, they sailed to Hawaii and back. Just the two of them, they sailed the Black Sea. So he had a huge passion for sailing. But he didn't really. I mean, there may have been some periods of time in his life for a month or so when he <laughs> would live on the boat. But he he uh, they actually had a place up in Sausalito. They'd go down to the harbor. And that's where the, the they kept the boat for all those years. But to get to get to your question, um, it's that's a hard question to answer or quantify. Uh, baseball was his first love, and I think it was really meaningful to him that that was the last sport that he did. And receiving the Frick Award, Adam was huge validation of what he accomplished in his career. Uh, his favorite team was the '75 Warriors, uh, the first championship for the Warriors, and. Uh, you know, it was decades until they won another one. So I'm not sure that totally answers your question. I think he, he loved everything he did. He loved, obviously, doing the Raiders for all those years. Um, he was very close with Al Davis. You know, Al gave a, an incredibly moving and emotional speech at Bill's memorial. And if you can imagine that the impact that Bill, Bill had in, in the Bay Area, and especially with all three teams, uh, his memorial service was literally held at the Coliseum Oakland Coliseum Arena, and I mean that just speaks to, to what he meant to people. And you know, I was blown away by Davis's speech. I think I had the misfortune of being the one to follow Davis <laughs> because what happened? They chose they chose uh, one person from each of the three teams to eulogize Bill. And I mean, Davis, you know, and Davis was in full flower. He gave him the cloak of immortality <laughs> as he was talking about the glory of the uh, silver and black. So it was just it was just awesome to be part of that. So, Ken, transitioning to uh, where you're at now, again, up at Seattle A's, have this series with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, what has this season been like for you with all this noise surrounding a potential move for the athletics to maybe out here in Las Vegas? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, I think we've tried to block it out because we have a job to do when the game starts. So we can't really get involved in that, nor do I want to. Uh, perfectly willing to talk about it when I'm not doing the games, but... You know, as far as broadcasting the games, you know, our obligation is to tell the story of the game that day. So that's the way that we've approached it on the air. And as you look at this team, uh, Ken got off to a decent start. and it, There wasn't a lot outside of the organization expected uh, from them this year with some of the trades they made in the off season. How has it settled in here with the A's sort of at the quarter pole of the year? Well, they've struggled. There's no question. They're 17 and 26, and you know they've really struggled at home. And I think we anticipated that. I think uh, this year maybe a little bit less about the wins and losses than it is about identifying the players that the team feels they can go forward to with. Because uh, 
you know, they're trying to kind of rebuild things with their club and restock the farm system. And everyone knows that they traded for their, their best players in the spring. And that was tough. It's frustrating for the fan base, of course. But uh, they're hoping that the next great wave of A's players will be on the horizon. And I have great faith in their front office. Uh, the A's have been, you know, we've been so fortunate. They've been in the postseason 11 times beginning in 2000. So um, I think they can turn this thing around again. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the A's have certainly been able to pull it together in a lot of situations where uh, the, not much was expected of them, have some great runs you've been there to call, many of them along the way, and uh, many of them alongside Bill King for 10 years. If you have an interest in any more of these Bill King stories, and some of them are just absolutely fantastic, you'll probably learn things you didn't know uh, if you pick up a copy of Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic, and all the places where you can purchase your books. Ken, we know you're busy. We appreciate your time, and have a great call tonight. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. It's always fun to talk about Bill. All right. Raider Nation Radio returns with your calls and texts here in just a moment. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Adam Candy and JVT. Jonathan Von Tobel, Adam Candy, Damon Cotton bringing you along here on the home stretch of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. We want to hear from you. Been talking about the Raiders and which unit we think has the most to prove this offseason. I have the offensive line. Damon has the secondary. John has the wide receiver depth. For the Raiders, if you want to talk to us about that, call us on the listener line at 702-365-9200. The Salmon Ash text line, you can hit us up at 69187. That's the number, keyword R-N-R. Visit them at SalmonAsh.com because you deserve what's right. Out to the phone lines we go, Damon. Mitch, New Jersey. Mitch, what's happening? How you doing, guys? Thanks for taking my call. Happy to have you. On the broadcast, I'll I'll rally this to anybody. Uh, somebody brought up uh, Kurt Gowdy, even the fellow, um, well, he passed, well, he passed away, too. The guy that called the, the charges, oh, my. I'm trying to figure the man. And Vince Scully, Dick he's Enberg. great. Yeah. I'm sorry. He's fantastic. Yeah. I got Kevin Holland and Eagle, Iron Eagle, and his son does the Clippers. He's good. He's only like 25 years old, so he's, he's from your neck of the woods, or at least the union school. Anyway, what I want to see with the Raiders how about the running game? If Chargers have a big year, he's walking. I like that kid, uh, Zamir White. Thanks for taking my call. Enjoy. All right, Mitch, we appreciate your time. Uh, mentioning uh, Dick Enberg, I think it's a good call. It's a mm-hmm. guy I used to enjoy listening to for a long time uh, on the broadcast. The running backs. All right. We're going to put that on ice for just a second because we do have a text to get to, but we'll put a pin in Mitch's comment about the running game and get back to that. All right, this is out from Aaron. I like Gus Johnson when something exciting happens. He makes it fun. That being said, I'm not watching a game for the announcer. We think, John, uh, Gus Johnson's one of those guys where if I tune in, let's say the, the Fox game Saturday at noon, and I am just figuring out which college football game I might watch, I might hang around to listen to Gus for a little while. Yeah, Gus is one of the, the notable ones. He's at the top of the list that sticks out. Uh, him and um, Akeem Talib. If you get to watch yes. some of those games during NFL Sundays, are they are very fun. So, he, if there are like if there are broadcasters who are like have made impressions on me, Harlan Johnson, those would be near the top of the list if I was forced to pick. But at the end of the day, you can play white noise. 
You could play my mother lecturing me for an hour and still watch football. All right, everybody. There's the next question for Raider Nation Radio this week. Would you listen to JVT's mother well, yelling at you for the length of a football game instead of Chris Collinsworth? Actually, in reality, I think that's the real question. What would it take to actually have you turn off an NFL game? Like from an announcer standpoint, what would re- in reality take you off of a game? Because I know there's people who are going to say it like, if you put Collinsworth on, I'm not watching. I'll tell you what, if it's the Raiders in like an AFC wild card game, you're watching. You're watching. I'm going to be honest. I generally will leave the broadcast up. There were times during the playoff game last year where Drew Brees was so painful that I did turn the sound down. Uh, Drew Brees trying to sound interesting was not a uh, not an endeavor that I that I enjoyed a whole lot. I'm kind of wondering where the Man. the big argument is to try to get Drew Brees in. Well, I, I also like how he's kind of like, uh, I, you don't know what I'm going to do. I'll do whatever. I, like, I don't Drew, care what yeah, nobody do. cares, Drew. I um, seriously don't care at all what you're going to do. Uh, no. By, by the way, talk about a dude whose Q rating has plummeted since his NFL days. Huh? Nobody. <laughs> that didn't t- I mean, he he and Brady have gone inverse, haven't yeah. they? Like Brady being the second most hated man next to Belichick to being the guy who's making funny little TikToks about the tuck rule. Yep. That is a major shift. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bre- Breeze is definitely falling down. And see, this goes back to my original point. I could not tell you how Drew Brees was as an announcer. Not one iota. I, I don't remember him being on any games. You saying that? Spark like I didn't realize that he actually did play by play last year. I did not realize that. He was the color guy for the Raiders Bengals game. Color, really? And it was not it was not pretty. I mean he was with Mike Tarico and, and Tarico's a pro and Tarico was carrying him along as best he could, but you know, he he fell into the trap that I think makes a lot of analysts throw away, which is they feel like they need to say something. Right? Like it's okay to to have moments where you just let it hang. But when you feel the need to say something, odds are you're going to come up with something really obvious and really boring because there's not always something to say. Well, and he also, like, let's be honest, he's going to try to be like nice guy. Like, he's not one that's going to criticize what he's watching on the field either when it deserves criticism. You know, Tony Romo has done it in the past. Uh, I, you know, I would, I'm going to assume that Brady would be more than willing to do it. The fiery guy that he is at times. Um, like, you know, enough with the milk toast nonsense. All right, to that end. Are you a Manning cast guy? Yeah. I kind of, yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe this is me being kind of hipster, but I just feel like it's like everything is not as good as the masses say it is, and not everything as bad is as the masses say it is. So, like, when I watch the Manning cast, there are moments that I've enjoyed it, and it's been pretty funny. But I got to tell you, don't know if I'd stick around for an entire game of it. I think the, the thing would get old after a while. It's got its highs and its lows. I just love the fact that the guy who came on the Cofield and Company roast on Festivus and told me that I don't think anything is interesting enough to talk about. You're like, eh, nothing's really as good or bad as you say it is. Well, it's the, all just sort of in the middle. Because the announcers are. like they, it's, it's just it's never been a conversation that I've ever gotten. It's never been one. Like when people tell me, like, that guy sucks. And I'm like, eh, I guess. Like I'm still watching the sport. I'm a sports guy. You know, baseball too. Like any of these sports – you could put anybody in that broadcast, but like, who was who the lady, for example? Uh, and I'm sorry because I don't watch hockey, but Leah there was Hextall. a yeah, she like I, I saw her trending on Twitter, and and she was just getting killed. Like it was vitriolic how terrible some of these Twitter people were were treating her. And somebody posts a clip, they're like, "Look at this, this is terrible," and it's like a goal, and she goes, and he puts it in, and I'm like, "What? What's wrong?" Like I watched the clip 20 times to find what was wrong with what she was doing. 
I couldn't get it. I well, couldn't get it. It go. I think the whole and this is a great jumping off point to talk about the Leah Hextall situation. She called a number of games for ESPN in the playoffs this year, and this is. John, I think this is perfect for what you just said, that nothing is as good or bad right. as we say it is. Look, I'm going to be really honest. Her call of the game was not my favorite, but did I think that it deserved anything near what it got on social media? No. It was just sort of there for me, right? Like, I don't think she's the best I've ever heard. I don't think she's the worst I've ever heard. It just it didn't, you know, it didn't really move the needle for me either way, but my God, the way people went after her was insane. Yeah. You know, the, the announcing performances that really stick out to me uh, was uh, Brent, Mersberg, uh, Brent Musburger's call of the Bourbon Bowl. Um, that was a really good one. That's, of course, uh, when Bobby Boucher came back, if you remember, I think it was after halftime, uh, to save the season. It was really solid. Was it Bourbon yeah, Bowl? Co- Is that co- what it was? Co- company man from VEASAN. Company yeah. man. Very well done. I don't think Adam gets the reference. <laughs> the Water Boy. Right, I get the... <laughs> Yes, I get the reference. I Come know on, who Bobby Boucher. I'm more likely to know who Bobby Boucher is than you. Like you, you were probably what, like four or five watching you that movie. Remember the time that like, Bobby Boucher came back to Bourbon Bowl? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I told Mitch. All right, I told Mitch we were going to give him a second here. Let's give Let's give Mitch a second here from uh, Mitch from New Jersey. He's concerned about the running game. Um, I am not concerned uh, about the running game because I think when when John Gruden moved on from the Raiders. Uh, the emphasis on the running game, especially running in situations when the, uh, oh, sorry, I'm going to use the A word, analytics say are not the best, uh, first and 10, second and long, etc. John Gruden certainly had a love for running in those situations that I hope is going to be de-emphasized in the McDaniels offense. Right. Well, and also I think that's that's part of the reason why when I talk about like the wide receiver depth, like that's what I'm referring to too. In today's NFL if you're running like 20, like just two wide receiver sets and trying to power through and all of that kind of stuff, you better have a Derrick Henry esque, Titans esque, San Francisco 49ers type running game. And I don't think the Las Vegas Raiders have that. It, today's NFL is spread you out, dice you up, and pass the ball. And I just, I, like, unless you're overpowering in that aspect, uh, that's why I go to the wide receiver depth. And speaking about running backs, it also ties into what is arguably the easiest answer to this question, which is the offensive line. Well, the offensive line is going to be the answer when it comes to pass blocking for sure. I'm just not concerned about it when it comes to run blocking because the Raiders should be running less in the first place. This should not be an emphasis for them, especially in this division. You can't play this game of trying to control the clock and try to keep the other offense off the field. You have to score with them. That's just it. Gruden took that approach only against Kansas City because he knew that Kansas City was the vaunted offense. Well, you're going to have to do that against every team in the division now. Yep, absolutely. Jonathan Von Tobel, very uh, very adept, very capable, very uh, – he was so good that he made the power voice this time around uh, from DeMond. DeMond, we appreciate you getting us on track here. Q will be back soon here on – Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio. Thanks for letting us sit in for a little while. Thanks for Ken Korak joining us as well earlier today. Uh, Damon, I hope we haven't screwed the show up too much. Uh, And if we have, then uh, tell Q it's your fault. 